In a moment, I will introduce you to the final theme of the Advent season. After that, I've got a ton of fun stuff to do on this week's Core Track Show. Advent season once again from all of us at His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9 and just generally the Corey Truax Show. Wherever you listen, whether it's on terrestrial radio, as we so like to call it, because that's accurate, uh, but or, or if you're listening on the podcast, all you, you newbies, you young people who listen to podcasts, thank you for listening wherever you find it. You know, we're coming down to the end of the year, and so I, I say thanks all the time, but with, with some real reflection, uh, a lot of a genuine thank you here like this I love doing this man um I love I love being able to have this have this discussion every week being able to put out content it takes work no doubt it takes work uh, but it's fun it's fun when you guys talk back and when you email the show when you uh, when you contact on social media and so thank you thank you for listening and thank you for participating it is also the end of the year so I am going to say it if you just think the show is awesome and you want to support it as some of you already are you can go to the anchor app anchor.fm is the website or the anchor app as some of you are are uh, regularly recur- your recurring supporters of the show financially I'm grateful for that and if you think it's valuable go do it speaking of uh, listener feedback page page wrote in first time I believe I've heard from a listener named Paige she was uh, she said she had never really heard of Advent in that uh, she she was not skeptical of it she just never heard of it she had no background until, until I started talking about it but she has tried to take the the principle into her own preparation with her kids so as as they were decorating the tree and putting stuff up there she said they're very small kids so you just stop and do and say you know uh, as we're preparing for Christmas, one, one important thing we do is also prepare that Jesus is coming back. He came one time and they prepared. Now we prepare for Christmas and we prepare for Jesus to come back. Just small stuff like that. Just the small things of creating a culture of biblical thinking and awareness around Scripture and the, the reality. I mean, that's just not Scripture. That's reality. I mean, stop for a second re- recognize that. We believe this. We actually believe that the first coming of Jesus is the first one. That there is another one coming. And it could be today. Like It could be at any time. And so... Uh, use this in your own life. This should this should be part of the the rhythms and the disciplines of the faith. And so we've gone through the first three themes to remind you. Week one theme was hope that the same hopes that surround that your kids have the hope that you have around this time of year for all the quote magic of Christmas to bring happiness and joy and reconciliation and the kids are excited and hopeful for certain presents. Well, we have the hope of Jesus' second coming. And then number two week was preparation, that as we prepare for this season and as people prepared for Jesus' first coming, we now prepare our lives for the second coming. Week three, we got good tidings of great joy and also uh, their, their peace to all men was joy and peace. And so into the world, Jesus comes and brings the beginnings of joy and peace, and we trust he's going to come and bring joy and peace in fullness a second time. The week four theme is love. Your Advent calendar, if you have one, if you've purchased one, it might say adoration. Love and adoration share the uh, th- this week, but love is the one that is often more focused on. I have several scriptural thoughts here to give you, but just consider... The, the love 
that God must have for his people to do what he did. I believe it's Romans that said God demonstrated his love for us, so he showed us his love. Well, how did he do that? Think about you and your own. How do you show your love to your kids? How do you show love to your spouse? What's the methods for that? How do you go about showing it? And you might have all kinds of different answers about uh, different love languages and how you give gifts and do acts of service and you say, you say nice things and you're kind, you, you work hard for your kids or your spouse, whatever it is, you demonstrate your love towards them by doing those things. Well, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Advent season itself is is not an accusation, but it is something that reveals something about us. Jesus didn't come here for the fun of it, guys. He came with a mission. From the moment he stepped foot, well, stepped foot, as soon as he breathed earthly air, it was always for the purpose of redeeming a people. And what kind of people need redeeming? Well, sinful people. His, his advent is actually revealing that you've got a sin problem, that I have a sin problem. He demonstrated his love for us in that he left glory. He left the, the peaceful confines of glory and put on a body to come to a place that was not peaceful. He came, he came from a place, stepped down from a place where he was worshipped and exalted and in perfect harmony and came to a place that was broken and gross and disgusting and he was mocked instead of glorified. God demonstrated his love for us by incarnating, by putting on flesh and, be, and dwelling among us. And that is an overwhelming love. The whole story of Scripture is God forming a people for himself and his affection being for his people. And so, one of the more common Scriptures you will get this on an Advent calendar historically in the church world one of the more common scriptures you will get for the week of love is this. It's from Lamentations 3. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to his abundant, faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. So, a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of truth there. He starts with, we're not going to be rejected forever. If you're rejected by God, guys, is that a thing that you've ever felt? Maybe maybe 2019 just feels like a big old year of rejection. The people waiting on the first Christmas probably felt some rejection. Lord, when will you come? When are you going to keep your promise? I feel rejected. But then, then he comes. You're not rejected, but it's the feeling of it. You continue with that Lamentations verse. Even if he causes suffering. So even in a hard time, he will show compassion. Well, how will he show compassion? Well, it's, it's according to his abundant and faithful love. He doesn't enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind, is how Lamentations says it. That all of these circumstances and all that which feels like rejection, he does it for our good. And then that brought to mind to me another scripture. Uh, my, my dad, he, he preaches four or five times a year at, at Beachwood Church where I serve as the pastor for teaching. By the way, Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville and you're, you're invited. And he finished up going through the book of Malachi last weekend, so uh, just four chapters. And uh, he did... He did four sermons this year. He did one chapter per sermon. But it made me think back to, and by the way, he, 
I said that because I wanted to honor him. What a great job he did uh, in that in that sermon. But Malachi three, the chapter before, you get this this vision of God. You get this depiction of God that says this. Uh, talking about Jesus' ultimate coming, the, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now here we go. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Consider that that's the picture we get of God. The picture we get of God is he's a like a refining fire. He sits before the fire to make us. Fire is not comfortable, guys. <laughs> Fire is, fire is that thing that turns up the pressure and the refining for doing the gold and silver. All the stuff that's not gold and silver rises to the top, and you can, you can push that dross off, and what you get is a purified silver, a purified gold. But you don't get the purified gold or silver, silver without the fire. And so you come to this love, this love that would have God step out of glory and into a terrible world to set his affection on his people so much so that he would come to that terrible world and, and defeat it through defeating sin and death, being crucified on a cross. We know that that, that, that love is, is demonstrated towards us th- through that action. And then we see through these Advent scriptures that sometimes that love does not feel like it. Even if he, that's what Lamentation says, even if he causes suffering, he causes suffering, he will cause compassion according to his abundant and faithful love. Malachi reminds us that sometimes that love looks like a refining fire. Sometimes that love, I'll give you an illustration of this. You know what, I'll give you, I've just thought of, J.I. Packer has this incredible quote. Uh, It's, uh, God seeks, uh, if you know J.I. Packer, very famous theologian and preacher, God seeks the fellowship of his people and will send them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. God loves us and he knows what's best for us is to have our hands attached to his hand. And what he has to do, if he sends us joy, we want joy. Or If he sends us sorrow, we don't want the sorrow, but he'll send both if our hands are holding on to something that will bruise us. And hurt us. You ever had to do that with your kids? You ever had to pry something out of their little toddler, oddly strong hands? Something they really want, but that you know will hurt them because you are the parent, you are the good father, the good mother. You are willing to hurt your, their hand if you have to, if it will protect them. That is the loving father heart of God. He came to save us. Not just from sin and death, but then to save us from ourselves in daily life. We will hold on to the things that hurt us. And his love is demonstrated to us as well by him willing to, to hurt that hand if he has to, to get us to let it go and hold on to him instead. I didn't put a lot of notes together for this segment, and I don't know why I, I feel like I should say this. I'm not going to give out any details, really, but 2019 for me, this has probably been the roughest year of my adult life, and I don't want to say any more about it than that. It's been hard. 
and I as I, as I was I did read those scriptures in preparation for this segment I recognize that is a good love that we have from God for me and maybe for you but let's just go me we're, we're all holding on to some things that are going to hurt us and then God is willing to send sorrow he is willing to send pain to get you to let it go get me to let it go and hold on to him instead so God demonstrates his love in this incarnation and that he came to save us. God demonstrates his love all the year round by being willing to put us in the fire to refine us because ultimately that is what's best for us. Happy Advent season. Merry Christmas. This week, as you go throughout the week, dwell on that love of God that is poured out for you, that's demonstrated so clearly to you through the life and the work of Jesus. When we come back, I've got a lot. I got listener submissions. I've got there, there's a, a conservative like civil war happening right now over the idea of regulating pornography. I got a lot to do, and we'll do all of it when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Hi, do me a favor: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Any of the three, all of the three, whatever, just go find me, Corey Truax. Connect there. Follow along during the week. Send me ideas for the show. I, I could always use the help. I could use like a show assistant. You could all collectively serve as my show assistant. I'm just kidding. I'm here to serve you, not the other way around. Here's a story going on in the political world that so intrigues me. I, th- I think I am most intrigued by things where I change my mind or where anybody changes their mind, because it, it, because it's so it's so rare. We we have a gut reaction often, and that's it. Like we're finished. We're not going to talk about it anymore. And I think I'm not totally sure. I think I changed my mind. Like I started with this debate on one side. It ended, and I went, Ah, oh, no, I, I think I'm wrong. I might I might just switch it up. And I would love to have your thoughts on this. So you can reach me, Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Maybe you'll win me back over. So let me just give you the facts of the case, and then we'll walk through some of the nuances. One, Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire, someone I admire greatly, is almost always right. He started this discussion by going out on Twitter and saying on his own show that he thinks we should ban pornography. The same way that there was a prohibition of alcohol, I guess that was the 1920s, a constitutional amendment to ban it, he's ready to do whatever it takes, let's ban pornography. So, one, I can't stand pornography. Uh, I think it is as poisonous, maybe more so, I, I'm going to say it, it's more, more so, it's worse for the culture than alcohol or drugs have been. It is damaging to the soul, it hurts people, it's dehumanizing it's, ru- it's ruined marriages. It's ruined people. Pornography is a cancer on our society. But I am a conservative person. So uh, I've made the joke often that for a left-winger, a liberal often the case, if, if they like it, if, if it's something they like, they think everyone should have to pay for it, like taxpayers have to pay for it. And if it's something they don't like, it should be banned. Like that's how they operate. But I'm not that way. My, just because I don't like something and I think it's terrible, my default setting, like if I, if, if I were a, a robot, my factory default setting 
is to leave everybody alone. I am very libertarian. I don't think conservatives would call me conservative because I'm too libertarian. And I don't think libertarians would call me libertarian because I'm a little bit too conservative to be one or the other. And so, or excuse me, I'm, I'm a little bit in between, and so I, I don't think I pass either ideological test. But my, my, my instinct there is pornography is terrible, and it's ruining, it's ruining lots of stuff, but it's got to be legal. Adults have to be able to be terrible. That's, that's the society that, that's the, be, that's the better society to have is when people are free, even to be terrible. And then it's the job of the church, it's the job of us as people to inculcate morality and virtue into our kids as they grow up and to be a culture that, uh, that celebrates the good and that it has shame on evil. Like that's our job as a culture. It's never the government's job. You can't use the government to... Uh, to institute your own morality. We, we libertarian-esque people, we think that's a dangerous idea. So that's, but Matt Walsh comes out and says, no, let's ban, let's ban pornography. We should use, his argument is we need to use the government for the common good. And it would be to the common good, it's good for the most people if we would ban it. Because there is, uh, you know, whereas with like alcohol or some drugs, I mean, you could even say tobacco, there is, some argument for its usefulness, some some joy that comes out of its use at times, I guess, uh, that it, it, and it, it can be used, like alcohol can be used in a denomination or a, in an amount that's totally appropriate, doesn't cause any problem, but like there's, there isn't an appropriate amount of pornography, like the, the moment, the moment it happens, someone has been hurt, someone has been damaged, so I, in any in any event, that's that, that they, they were he was making the argument. Matt Walsh was, and people some people that joined up with him and said, "Yeah, let's use the government to be for the common good. It'd be good for enough people." And uh, so let's let's do that. The other argument they were making was to people like me because again, I start libertarian. I start people are free to even be bad. People are free to be terrible as long as they don't hurt anyone else directly. They made the argument kind of compelling here that what is the fundamental right someone has to post a video of themselves on the internet? Why does someone have that right? And so I didn't see it the, there's the, the one way, like I was saying it, well, people can watch what they want. People can do what they want. That we got to leave people to their own devices as long as they don't hurt other people. They went to the producing side. So not the consuming side, who watches pornography, but those who are making the pornography, why do they have the right just to put it out there? And, and, to, and so then I started getting some nuances, and this is where I started to, I, I got one over. I should give you more. So there's the, that was their arguments. The arguments for the conservatives were, it's for the common good, why do you have a right to post explicit things on the internet? And then the libertarian people like me were saying back, well, because virtue and morality is not the government's job. That's the people's job. So we've got to be good. And the government's just supposed to not be involved in those things. Here's how I started to change my mind. When someone... I'm... Uh, let me... i got to be careful. Let me be, let me be careful really quick. I don't have a big audience. I have a big enough audience that the statistics would suggest some of you are consuming pornography regularly. Some number of you are on your phone, on your computer, 
with some regularity consuming pornography. That's bottom line truth. That if the statistics are true, I have a big enough audience to say that some of you are doing that. I, I was about to say something really harsh about pornographers and those who consume it. That's why I stopped to say this. Listen to me, sir. Listen to me, madam. I don't know from experience, but I know from a lot of talking to people who have struggled with this issue. What you've done to your brain by consuming pornography is very similar to, to the alcoholic. It is very similar to the, to the drug addict. You needing to stop is absolutely the case. It needs to stop. But you won't be able to do it alone. You will, you will need the support of others. You've got to come out into the daylight. You've got to tell somebody. You've got to, got to have some accountability. It won't be about pornography, but guys, now I am talking with some experience about how do you stop these things. Well, you've got to come out into the daylight. You've got to include others. And the, some of the harsh things I'm about to say about pornography, you listen to me, sir. Listen to me, madam. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to guilt you. There is, there's help. There's forgiveness. And here's the most important thing. There is freedom. You can stop this. You can beat it. And so, as I was about to say some harsh things, let me offer some compassion to those who are deep into this and want out. You know that's what you need to do. All right. So, I started changing my mind with this. Why does somebody have the right to put videos of themselves or others of, of a pornographic nature out into the world? Why do you have a right to do that? And I will say this, the people that do that, they're evil people. That th- This isn't just a another way of making money. It's not just a subset of the economy. It's evil. If you are involved in the production of a good where the, the thing that's being sold is a person, that's a human that's a human being that's being consumed for someone else's pleasure. You're evil. You have chosen to make your living, to make your money on the consumption of human beings. And there is no morally redeeming value to it. It is terrible. The producers of pornography are evil people. They can be redeemed too, by the way. They, they can come to faith and repentance and be forgiven, but that is an evil way of going about making a living, the producers of pornography. Now, so they make this and they put it out into this world, now the internet. The, I don't know from experience, but I've, as I did, did the reading and the research, what I learned on Vox, it's vox.com, vox.com, they did a long-form, really interesting article, I highly recommend to you, where... Vox is a very liberal. It's a it's a liberal publication. They interviewed the conservatives who are for banning pornography. They interviewed the conservatives who are against banning pornography, the more libertarian types, and they did a very fair write up of both sets of arguments. It was really good. And what I've learned is apparently to access pornography on the internet, the only safeguard is that if someone goes to a pornographic site, they have to click a box that says "I'm 18." I don't know if you know this. But you can be 11 and you can lie. You can go to the box when you're 11 and just click I'm 18 and have access to some things that probably no human should ever see. And so, and and then by the way, it's also, I would say by accident. Guys, I just had on Instagram because the, the standard of swimwear is so different in Europe and in Latin America there's a bunch of stuff I don't want my nephew seeing. 
just out on Instagram, a very public, easy-to-use site, easy-to-access. I don't know if we call that pornography. I probably would put that in the category, but that might not be fair. But to actually access pornographic material isn't hard at all. You can almost do it by accident. And so I'm thinking a lot about kids here that can accidentally run across images. and That's who it damages the most. We have all the social science and the science that we need now. Pornography damages the brain. There are things kids shouldn't see. There are things that our brains aren't meant to, especially at a young age, are not meant to witness. And too many kids are seeing at a young age, they get all kinds, we we have the evidence. They have more divorces, they have more sexual assaults on themselves, they're more likely to be a victim, and they're more likely to victimize those who've gotten to pornography early. We have all of the evidence to say it's damaging. And so, what right does a person have to create a product that hurts people, that can ruin kids, that will ruin kids, and then put it out where it's really easy to access? And they started, these people started winning me over with this. It's not, it's not super easy if you're underage. I mean, it's, it's easier than it should be to get alcohol. It's, it's, it's pretty hard. Like if, you, if you're obviously 11 and walk into a liquor store and, and drop some Jack Daniels on the counter, you're not going to be sold that, all right? And, and maybe then you have to go through, use an adult, and the, that's, that's illegal, so use an adult to get it for you. But at least you didn't have to do that. You actually have to go get that substance. Some adult has to be involved. Whereas, by yourself, just if you are a, if you're a kid, you, no one else involved, you don't have to get an adult to do it for you. You just have access to it. To do it with drugs. Listen, I'm a 33-year-old man. If if I wanted to get drugs, like marijuana or like cocaine or something, I actually don't know how. I'm sure someone I know uh, could access the right people. I'm sure that's the case. I don't know who those people are. I might not know anybody. I wouldn't know how to do it. I don't have access to it. But you know what I have access to at the, at in a moment's notice, I have access to, God knows, it's probably tens of millions of pornographic uh, videos in a moment. And so when you think about how we have protected people from, and especially kids, from alcohol, from drugs, from tobacco, even to the extent on tobacco, we don't let tobacco companies advertise to them. I don't think we let tobacco companies advertise at all anymore. What, what we've done with pornography is we've made it readily available to everybody. And so here's where I landed. I didn't intend to spend this much time on this topic. I may not be for banning it. I, I don't know that I'm for banning pornography, but we have deeply underregulated it. It is w- not even close how we should actually regulate the thing. And so that's where I actually get into the ideas. So we come out of the abstract and we get into the very specific. Like, all right, so you're saying you don't want to ban pornography, so what do you want to do? All right. How about we? I thought I, I'm, I'm going to say an, a really radical thing here for a libertarian leaning person. I think I might be for banning internet pornography, so that we we'll, we least make it as hard to access for a kid than a than that bottle of Jack Daniels. Because I'm going to I'm going to say it, guys. Pornography. That one video 
is more insidious and damaging to underage people than that bottle of Jack Daniels. It is going to hurt them more in the long run. And we at least it needs to at least be as hard to get. I was recently at a at someone's home, and they had a delivery like Amazon type delivery, and it was it was wine, and they required an obviously over twenty one year old person to come and sign for it. Even to get it delivered to your home requires like there, there's some verification that takes place just for alcohol. We don't have that with porn. It's easier to get pornography than it is to get alcohol. And it's not even close. And I think it's doing more damage to the culture. And so I may not be for banning pornography, but I think I'm about to be quite the advocate for banning internet pornography. Unless someone can show me some way online to actually make it where only adults can get to it. I mean, kid, kids are clever, um, and, and and again, pornographers don't have any morality. They want to get kids hooked early the same way that other folks who produce things that hurt people, they want to get people hooked early. So there you go, I changed my mind. I started in an argument with everyone saying uh, ban pornography, and or the one group saying ban pornography and saying absolutely not, we, we cannot regulate what adults do, and so uh, no, I'm out. But I landed on... Be, because this it's so unregulated, it deserves some regulation, if for nothing else, to save children from the very damaging effects because it's very easy to get to and it's very easy to stumble upon. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take an early break because when we come back, I have a post from a listener, and he's a good friend, uh, that I want to read about taxing the rich and respond to it. And I think it goes along pretty well with a video from one of those groups. I think they're called Campus Reform. They go to college campuses and ask college kids stuff and make them look dumb. I don't want to make the college kids look dumb and make fun of them. I just I do want to bring up a really important point about how the left often makes arguments morally, and we're not doing a good job of that on the right. And so we'll do that and, I'll, and more, a whole, whole bunch more. Uh, so there's, there's a lot left. No sports segment this week. we got a lot of content to do when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to His Radio Talk, 91.9 and 92.9. Also, welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you wherever you listen to the show. I always say it, and I mean it, so please don't just don't hear this as something I'm just saying to fill time. If you tell someone about the show, it'll make me happy. That's a good Christmas gift. Uh, for real, though, if you would review the show, if you listen to it online, anywhere you listen to it and review the show, uh, go write a review. It helps people find it. I, I, I put out an Instagram video back in March for my birthday, and said, the best birthday present is to go and review my show. So even if you listen on his radio talk on Saturday mornings, if you'll go find the podcast and give it a five-star rating and review, it helps people find the show. You can, I, I can always see a, a slight jump when people start doing that because people discover the show. So if you want to give me a Merry Christmas present, you want to give me an Advent gift, go review the show, as many of you already have, so thank you for that. Uh, Glenn, good friend that I've gotten to know quite well this year and uh he's also a fellow listener to the show he's he's one of one of you uh he posted on my facebook wall something from michael linden that i want to respond to uh and so michael linden i, th- I think he's a writer some kind of commentator 
And the title is, Should We Tax the Rich More? So here we go. I'm going to read it to you. I will uh, stop as I stop as we go to respond because you might know immediately, Corey, do you think we should tax the rich more? Nope, sure don't. So I'm going to respond as we go to the arguments. But I, that's what makes the best radio. That's what makes the best conversations. The best conversations are when people respectfully disagree with each other. Those are the most fun and interesting conversations. So here we go. From Michael Linden. Should we tax the rich more? There will be those, this is what Michael Linden says, there will be those who claim the sky will fall if we tried to tax the rich like they did in the 1940s. Uh, so first, no, I mean, if you tax the rich in the 1940s, I wouldn't say the sky will fall. I would say you will hurt the economy. You will cost us jobs. You will cost us economic growth. You will cost, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Innovation and uh, entrepreneurship and uh, investment. There's going to be consequences. But we're still going to have a very powerful and strong economy, even if you tried to hurt it with more taxes. Uh, what does Michael, Michael Linden next says? Maybe uh, these warnings of doom and gloom rely on the theory that growth and prosperity come from rich people's ingenuity and know-how. If we tax them, they might take their ball and go home. That's just false. It's a lie. That's a, a lie from Michael Linden. No, uh, we don't believe that. <laughs> it's not the rich's ingenuity and know-how that makes the economy go. It is a lot of their investment, though. So rich people that invest, they give give that money, invest that, and I shouldn't say give, invest that money in businesses and ideas and venture capital. I mean, there's billions of dollars in venture capital floating around Austin, Texas, Silicon Valley, that have led to some of our, our, our great companies. I mean, Facebook, Amazon, a lot of these companies that made billionaires, they didn't start billionaires. It was millionaires and some billionaires that gave startup money. And billionaires also see a lot of their money go into nothingness because they invest in the wrong things. And so, no, it's not... the pro Prosperity doesn't come from rich people's ingenuity. Prosperity comes from freedom. When people are free to operate, and all people, then we're going to have more economic growth. That's just... That's how it's, it's how it's worked over time. So that, that is a lie. We don't believe that... Uh, Economic growth comes from rich people. Uh, next thing from Michael Linden. That's preposterous, of course. Rich people are neither the source of economic prosperity, uh, nor will they decide to go off and form their own society in Antarctica or 10 miles off the coast of San Diego. Uh, so real quick, ask France about that, though. When France decided in 2015 or 14 or 15, was it Emmanuel Macron? I think it's who they elected and they started doing the rich people taxes. They did leave. They started coming to America. They started going to Britain. They saw an exodus of people because you know what rich people can do? They can leave. That's what they have. They have money. And so they have the ability to be mobile. Now, if they all leave, that will hurt your economy. But again, that's not the end of the world. But rich people are people too. We don't hate them. At least we're not supposed to from a Christian worldview. Uh, next from him. Uh, Michael Linden says, in fact, taxing rich people will make our economy work more like it should. Now, ah, ha, ha, this is, an, a very, this is a very important sentence. What do you mean like it should? The word should, much like the word ought, is a statement of morality. The, you're, you're making a moral claim, not, an, not, a, uh, not a, a claim of effectiveness, not a claim that has to do at all with uh, with, with what is most efficient, you're making a claim, claim of claim of morality, and so that ends up being so your morality. What's your your morals? Your morals say the economy should work in a particular way, 
And now we have to have a moral conversation about whether or not you're right. Are you correct in your morality? Uh, so he says, taxing rich people will make our economy work more like it should. So before I even respond to the claim, I would have to say to him, what do you mean more like it should? What, what is, how, how is the economy, how should it work? And why do you get to decide? Why are you morally superior to me or anyone else for that matter that you get to decide how the economy should work? Michael Linden says, taxing rich people will make our economy look more like it should if we disincentivize hoarding at the top money will more easily flow to the workers and families who really drive economic growth. Wow. The ec- the economic... What is the... Ignorance? The economic ignorance of that statement blows my mind. If we disincentivize hoarding at the top. Well, we don't incentivize hoarding at the top. It's actually... It's one of the things that confuses me about some left-wing economic thought is... We have a lower capital gains tax rate for a reason. So we are saying, if you will invest your money and you get more money back uh, and you get money out of it, we'll tax it less. So those who are making high incomes pay a higher rate than those who are getting money off their investments. So for those billionaires, the, the actual tax code right now says to them, hey, why don't you not sit on that money? Why don't you invest it in something? So much so, guys, the interest rates are like nothing. Has anyone looked at their savings account? They're get, you're getting nothing. You're getting nothing in your interest rate savings. You're not getting any money from saving your money. All of the policy in place right now says to billionaires, spend it or invest it, please. If you spend it, you will get, uh, if, if, if you spend it, you'll at least get some products that you want. And if you invest it, you, you might... If you get any income back from that, if you make money off your money, we'll tax it at less. You letting it sit there is actually a problem for you because you're not getting any interest on it. So this is just wrong. We don't have a system that disincentivizes, uh, excuse me, that has an, um, an incentive on hoarding. We're actually trying to get people to spend their money and invest their money. And then he goes, oh, I have more I could I could say there, but it, it's the... I. Uh, if you're going to make you have a, the moral argument is one thing. But if you're going to try to then support the moral argument with facts, you need to get your facts straight. And Michael Linden has no facts straight here. The I I I, I got to go. I got to keep going. There's too much other stuff to do on the show. Uh, so let's keep going with this. Um, he says so this disincentivize hoarding at the top, money will more easily flow to the workers and families who really drive economic growth. There's no offers no evidence of that at all. And there is no evidence of it. If we tax the rich people, you know where that money doesn't directly go? It doesn't go to a poor person. It doesn't go to a, a, a middle-class person. You know where it goes to? The government. There's this inefficient, giant thing that the money has to be laundered through. They've not shown themselves the ability to do anything with efficiency. And so the idea, well, if, if we just take money from the rich people, it'll go to working families. No, it won't. It'll go to the government. And then you go ahead. You you you're counting on Nancy Pelosi? You counting on Donald Trump? They're going to do it. That's that's the two people. That's what we're going to do. Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, and Donald Trump. We should give those three guys more money of, from the billionaires. And yeah, it'll get to the poor folks. That's how it'll work, of course. And it's never worked that way. That's not how that works at all. It, so uh, I'll go back and make this point from Thomas Sewell years ago. Right now. There is a bubble in the art market. 
because these rich people, it, it actually is a, a problem right now for rich people. And I know we all feel so bad for them, right? What do I do with all my billions? <laughs> what a cool problem to have. But one of their problems right now is I don't want to just put my money in savings and bonds because I'm not getting any return on it. So what do I, what should I invest in? And I don't want to put it too much in stocks because stocks can be volatile. Like, What is the safe investment for me? And for a long time, gold uh, and precious metals was a big thing for the rich. But right now, there's a bubble growing in the art market and in the yacht market. You can read this from Forbes. The number, uh, on the cost on luxury boats, it's just going up incredibly high. And some of the prices you're seeing on, on some of the most uh, famous pieces of art are astronomical. We're talking getting into eight and nine figures on some art pieces. Because what the rich are saying is maybe this. Uh, this is what's going to be the next thing. Maybe that can be how... Maybe that'll be how we can uh, you know, we, we get, get some money back on our investment. And it's the same thing with yachts. So let's just take yachts. Every time one of those big luxury yachts gets bought for $80 million, there's an incredible amount of people to benefit. The, there's the, the guys who create the upholstery. There's the guy that install the upholstery. Make the furniture. Install the deck. Install all the appliances. Some really hard-working people benefit because we got a bunch of rich people who are st- spending their money stupidly. They're, <laughs> they're spending their money on yachts and art. And so there's a bunch of people benefiting from that. There's working-class people benefiting from the rich spending their money that way. There is a trickle-down effect in that, in that sense. And so it's, it's just w- between the two, between the, the rich person investing in businesses, buying yachts, buying art, and, or, uh, or investing in the stock market, something like that, or giving it to Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, and Mitch McConnell to figure something out to do with it, yeah, it's going to be way better if they buy the yachts. It's going to be better for the working class if they just do that instead. Uh, well, what else we got here? The tax revenue uh, we generate... Oh, we'll talk about tax revenue before I go back to Michael Linden. The, the other people that benefit then is where you park the boat. Wherever it is you park that boat has a, has all kinds of fees on it. There's all kinds of fees, and those are usually government fees. So if you're going to go park your boat in a port, and if you're going to take that yacht and th- through a port or something, government does benefit then. They, they get money from that rich person as they pay those taxes and fees. Guys, imagine the taxes on an $80 million yacht. So there, there's even tax revenue that's created from doing all that as well. Back to Michael Linden. He says, The tax revenue we generate can be put to good use investing in working people in communities across the country and in our collective future. Yeah, uh, so this is another, it's, it's just a fallacy, it's a lie that folks on the left set, uh, talk about. I think I gave you the stat recently on the show that if you took every billionaire, few, hundreds and hundreds of billionaires in the country, if you took all of them and took all of their money, every dime they got, liquidate their assets, you, t- you get it all, it was like less than $3 trillion dollars. And so some, some folks on the left, like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a billion, a Bernie Sanders would say, it's ridiculous, it's immoral, it's wrong that a few hundred people could accumulate $3 trillion of wealth. All right, let's, uh, one, you're wrong. Your morality's all jacked up. That's not a problem. But, number two, go take it from them. Take every dime. You're going to fund the government for eight months. That's what you got. At our current spending levels, you, you hate the rich, you take all their money, and you'll fund the government for eight months. Is that, is that good enough? 
Uh, come on. As to Michael Linden, just come on, man, grow up. Think a little bit. The, you, 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 the tax revenue could really make a difference for... Could it, though? We got a $4 trillion budget. What do you want? A $4.5 trillion budget? A $5 trillion budget? If $4 trillion isn't enough right now, what is it that you think you're going to get out of them? What do you think you're going to get out of the rich folks that you actually can make some progress with? And then finally, uh, his last paragraph, before long, instead of a few hundred billionaires taking ever more, we could instead have a thriving middle class, widespread economic security, and real opportunities to give the next generation a better life. Well, one, widespread economic security is what we got. We do have widespread economic security. We, we, we tend to have these problems where we think about the one story or we think about a small group, and we don't think about the 320 million people that are otherwise doing quite well. This happens a lot of times with the tariff stuff. Uh, like when Barack Obama did the, the tire tariff and one of the more recent tariffs with Donald Trump, one of the things that I, I saw happening was, you know, this is going to cost Americans these 11,000 jobs. If we don't have these tariffs then this American corporation, this American uh, company is going to be going to be hurt. And these, these 10,000 people, these 8,000 people will lose their jobs. To which I always wanted to say back, you know there's like 320 million Americans. You know like 150, of us, 150 million of us work? Are you telling me you want to put in place a policy, a tax, to rescue the jobs of 8,000 people so that... 300 or excuse me 320 million other Americans pay more for something it's inefficient and that's immoral why are you sacrificing the hundreds of millions on the altar of these 8 9 10 11,000 now that 8 9 10 11,000 those are real people those are real men and women with real families and real budgets and real problems but widespread economic security is something we have in this idea of the billionaires taking ever more if the billionaires were taking ever more, and the middle class wasn't growing as well, that would be a problem. But we do. The average American lives better today than they lived 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I, I said recently on the show, and it's still true, all of us live better than King George III. All of, all of us live better than the wealthiest person was living 100 years ago. The wealthiest person 100 years ago doesn't have what we have. Like we're, everyone is getting richer. Now, we're, we're due a recession that's got to be coming sometime soon. But the bottom line is to Michael Linden, all of these are fallacies. But, big point, it's a moral point he's trying to make. So none of the numbers add up, none of it makes any sense logically, but it sounds right. There's some morality to it, and that's where I want to give you in our last little bit of time, take you to a college campus from Campus Reform, where they ask some kids about... Uh, was this Medicare for All? Yeah, Medicare for All. Listen to this clip, and then I have a quick thought on it. Um, is that a concept you view favorably or unfavorably? Favorably, for sure. I, I do support Medicare for All. I do. I do think that every American deserves health care. I do support that. I think it's an important form of universal health care. I do support free health care for everybody. In general, I would say yes. I, I do favor Medicare. I don't think um, there's anything that you could really tell me that would make me uh, view it unfavorably. I'm going to give you a few of those things. I want to see if you view them favorably or unfavorably okay. within the plan and just see if it changes your opinion at all. So first off, uh, it is mandatory. So it would be uh, over 100 million people right now have private insurance plans that they like. They would be removed from those plans um, by the government. It would be mandatory and they would be put on the government plan even if they didn't want to. Is that something that concerns you at all? Um, probably, yeah. 
Do you view that element favorably or unfavorably? I think I would say unfavorably for that. Unfavorably. I mean, they shouldn't be like kicked off of it, I guess. That's not really, that doesn't seem fair, I would say. The government can't. It doesn't seem fair. We're going to run out of time, so I got to cut this off. So they do a good job, six minute video, of taking these college students through. There's consequences, right? So we, we don't live in a world of fairy tales. There's consequences to all of these, these ideas. The tax the rich enough and everything's going to be fine, or we'll institute Medicare for all and everything is going to be fine. We, this is one of our big themes on the show. Everybody's got to grow up. Everything has a consequence to it. And uh, I got I to stay focused. I did, I did love how campus reform handled this. It goes right back to this, this Linden thing. These kids were being asked, college students were being asked, are you for Medicare for all? And all of their language was moral. Every American deserves. That is, it seems right that everyone would have free health care. And then the next question is not about, well, you know how expensive it is. You know how much that's going to cost. The money doesn't even exist to pay for this. They don't go to the economic argument. Campus reform says, hey, but there's 100 million Americans. They've got health care they like. Would it be fair for them to lose it? Oh, no, that's not fair either. That's not moral. There, there is something we need to take from this. The left does a good job of making bad arguments morally. They're not out arguing the numbers. They're not out. They're not out here arguing like I often do about the facts and what and what uh, what reality is. I've got to do a better job. We all have to do a better job of speaking to the heart of people. And people's hearts are concerned with morality, with morals. So I'm going to try to do better and better at that. Um, over over time. Thanks again, Glenn, for sharing that from Michael Linden so we could talk through it. If you have thoughts on that, Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Next week is the Christmas special edition of the Corey Act Show. I'll also be joined by Heath again next week to do uh, the sports show. Please share the show on social media. Be grateful if you would. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, peace and love.